morning, good afternoon, good evening, good day. This is the Material Podcast episode number 212. I am uh, one half of your host panel. My name is Florence Ion. I am Andy Anatko, and numerically speaking, I am also the second half. And True. I want to make sure that people understand that we are talking about two uh, disjoint human beings. We're not just talking about like a big lump of host, like entrails that are being weighed and apportioned. So mm-hmm. by weight, yeah. I'm, by, by weight, I'm probably more than 50% of this, this panel. I'm just saying. I really hate that that just brought to mind. Uh, well, this might be a spoiler, but okay. Spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't seen Stranger Things three. But you definitely put that image in my head, Andy. Um, anyway, <laughs> every I time like... <laughs> I hear something about spo- about about Stranger Things, every alternate one makes me think that I really want to see it or I really don't want to see it. It's almost it's almost like hearing stories about Australia. Um, the second one was not was not the my cup of tea, but I definitely enjoyed this last season. Uh, you know, it's summertime. You want to have some good TV to tune into, you know, it doesn't get dark until like nine 30, 10 o'clock now. So it's perfect time to delve into scarier things because it's not as dark and scary. Um, you know, I don't, I don't particularly like watching scary movies around Halloween. Like some people do. <laughs> I'd prefer to watch baseball. <laughs> a lot less scary uh and also in tune with the season (laughs) i'm a lifelong red sox fan and so apart from the past 10 years or so i don't think anything is scarier than than the red sox having a chance of postseason play the only thing scarier than knowing that the red sox if they don't screw up could make it into the postseason is oh no the red sox have made it into the postseason and i'm probably gonna have to get excited about it only to (sighs) Again, I, I don't want to grow back Baseball, here. an American, and in some Japanese counties, pastime. <laughs> <laughs> um, so before we, well, you know, we like to always start the show with a little bit of chat-chat. It helps um, Andy and I warm up for the show. Uh, it helps us update, you know, do any little housekeeping, uh, you know, that kind of thing. Talk about, like, what we're doing in our lives. Um, I don't have much going on right now because I've just been working a lot. I've been working and spending a lot of time um, with my friends, which is a good a good way to spend a summer, I think. <laughs> and I have to say, I really, I just want to shout out to the online community that has just been shrouding me in love <laughs> these last <laughs> couple of weeks. Um, for those who don't know, earlier this year, I started my own Discord, and it's been kind of a lovely little community. It's just a lovely way to check in. Um, folks are usually chatting about what's going on with Google. Like any right now, there's a riveting discussion about. Actually, this happens pretty much every like five days. There's a discussion about what Google's doing with messaging because everyone is still like very like what is going on. I don't know what to use, kind of thing. And I understand you need. To, you need to have a space where you can like talk about that and feel seen. And with the way Twitter is going these days, it's just not exactly, it, it's not the safest place to be when you just want to like, you just want to talk, you know, you just want to, you just want to shoot it with a couple friends. You know what I mean? <laughs> you don't want to necessarily have like groups of people coming in and attacking you because that's what they do in their spare time. Um, and so I've been working on moderating the community to make sure that it's a safe place. And I just want to thank folks who have joined in. It's also just like a nice way to interact with people one-on-one away from Twitter. Um, so if anybody's interested in joining the Discord, 
if you're listening to this podcast, uh, there's a link to it in my bio at my website, florencelion.com. I do vet everybody who comes in, so no meanies. We have a very strict policy against meanies. Uh, but you know, so far so good. I, I'm really enjoying kind of going back to the internet that I had as, uh, this might sound, okay. So in college, I became very social. I had to really extrovert myself in college. And that's how I learned how to fake my extrovertedness, which by the way, I think I'm very good at um, because you have to I'm learn convinced. that in, in journalism school. <laughs> well, they force you to be extroverted in, in, in J school. They say, go out, here's your beat. You need to meet people on the street. And you're like, oh my God. <laughs> um, and it, it really builds character in you. But I am actually very much an introvert. I like to be at home. I like to be left alone, but I also love to talk to people. If And so the internet has made has uh, been a good medium to kind of like fulfill that. And so I've been really enjoying kind of the new communities of the internet, like through Discord or just like small pocket communities. Uh, it's, it's just like a nice return to the days when, I don't know, the internet didn't feel so hmm, weaponized. <laughs> the again, the internet has always been weaponized, like from the beginning of time. Um, I mean, you watch any '90s show, and there's probably some reference to how toxic the internet is. But I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's just I don't know. I just like the way that we can kind of curate our own communities now and like shield ourselves if we want to 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 continue to socialize in a safe way. Without leaving the house, yeah. Because some of us don't like leaving well, the house. <laughs> yeah, a, a, a long time ago, I started talking about uh, uh, internet message boards and communities like that as sort of and sort of like um, uh, uh, an assistive device for helping people whose sense of socialness is not as good as most people's. Just like a hearing aid helps somebody who doesn't hear so well, uh, a, a guide dog helps people who don't see too well. That this is that if you uh, you have someone who is not not going to be healthy if they don't socialize with other people, but on the other hand, think why would I want to go to? A, you're, you're okay. You're, you're you're saying that I should just like go to an event and mingle with people. What kind of a psychopath wants oh. to mingle with strangers? I did that last night, by the way, which is like the first time in a while outside of a <laughs> wedding or like a friend party where I've like had to mingle. And it's always awkward when you show up on time because there's so few people there. You know, people usually come a little bit later. And so, and you're like, I don't know anybody here. And so I had to, again... I thank journalism school for this because I figured out how to like, okay, let's just go, let's just go start this conversation with this person, see where it goes. It's better than standing around and, <laughs> you know, waiting to jump into a conversation. It really is uh, social engineering at its finest. <laughs> yeah. Just figuring it's, that out. It's, I, I um, my, my, the, the, the only really, really comfortable place where I'm doing stuff like that is when I'm like meeting drivers on rideshare, because mm -hmm. by now, I, by now I have created a character. I, I basically go into this character 
Yes. Which is not necessarily a. F- it's not like hi. Well, I'm. Uh, I I started off in architecture, and uh, you, you you see the renovation to the Johnson Building, the Boston Public Library. Yeah, that was I was part of that design team. But I then thought, you know what? I gave up on neurosurgery way way too. Like when it started getting hard, I said, "Hey, neurosurgery is too hard for me." And so I went back to Harvard Medical School uh, and became a board licensed neurosurgeon. See, it's not making stuff up, but it's like you know what. Uh, it's it's uh, <laughs> it's it's also not as health as unhealthy as like who's afraid of Virginia Woolf. So it's not like don't talk about us, son Andy. It's it was just, but okay. I I have a wife, and uh, you know we we uh, we went from having two cars to one car. She has the car today because of course she works in the city, and so she has a regular commute. God love her. I don't. She she thinks that I'm being inconvenienced by not having a car, but still, I could never do that. I can never do I ninety five. Uh, to to the city every single day like she does. Uh, we don't have kids, uh, which makes the you know not do not you have having a car easier. Uh, and of course, but in, and uh, the reason why I need to go all the way into the city today was that uh, she's it's a Saturday, but she has this thing with her friends. See, again, I, I I have this entire reality that I can draw on, and I'm mm-hmm. also more confident because I know I probably won't get this to the same driver again. And because I'm, I stick to the same story, and I try not to, I don't introduce any specific details that I could get called out on. It's like as so long as I stick to the story of I have a wife, she works in the city, we have no kids, we, <laughs> we <laughs> etc. It's, it's it's a fun place to go, and, and occasionally I, I I improve upon the story. But uh, again, it's like if I, if there's a, if there's an author reading or something at a bookstore. It's like, oh, good. There's like coffee and like sodas and stuff, and it's, she's a, she's a little bit late, so we're all just sort of like mingling, like, oh god. Yeah, but you know, I think it's the nature too of our jobs that have forced us into those sort of like, and forced us to be able to to thrive in those particular situations because you can't thrive if you're not talking as a journalist. I mean, you can't you can't pick up information, you can't meet people. Uh, so I guess I guess I would just like to thank my journalism degree for having some use in this. <laughs> okay, well, I'm sorry. <laughs> I w- see, I, I went I went to school for computer science at a polytechnic university, and be having social wow. skills was definitely not something that was part of the course curriculum for computer science. Unfortunately, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just did journalism. Um, I like to say that it's a totally useless degree, but clearly I'm making money off of this, so. <laughs> Not completely useless. No, no. Um, the uh, be, be, becoming be, becoming an uh, an unlicensed journalist was very very empowering because it helped teach me that the the truth is out there somewhere. Somebody knows the fact that you're trying to find, and and if everybody who knew it is dead, they probably wrote it down somewhere. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's good when you do a Google search and you find it in five seconds. If not, that doesn't mean that this fact is not out there. Or if you're confused by this or something doesn't make sense, that there is no way to make sense of this. You just have to, uh, yeah, okay, talk to people. But also, <laughs> I was I was going to say, like, go to this, travel to, like, a, a college in Connecticut where a certain person's personal papers were deposited and try to sweet talk your way into saying, no, I'm not a, I, I'm not a, a historian. I'm just a dude who's trying to figure something out. But if you could give me a permit, if you could let me into these 200 year documents, that'd be just swell. 
So I would just I would just like to shout out one one more thing uh, just regarding social engineering. I learned a lot about this from Hacker Quarterlies. Uh, we remember 2600, yes? Yes. <laughs> of course. Um, I, I remember I learned how to get free pizzas from an article in 2600. And that's when I first learned about social engineering. So it is, it's an art. How, how are you getting <laughs> free pizzas? I never actually tried to get free pizzas, to be honest. <laughs> but I was told that there's a way that you can do it. That you can like call in, yada yada. I don't. I, I think I still have the issue somewhere upstairs. Uh, I don't quite remember, but I'm sure if you Google it, you could probably find out at this point. Because I'm tr- I'm trying to work out. Because oftentimes when I come across an article like that, you have to put the word scam in sort of <laughs> how to scam a free pizza or how to trick somebody into giving you a free pizza you're not entitled to. Or how to become such a nuisance to somebody that the cost of a pizza given to you for free seems like a good bargain for never, ever having to deal with you ever again. You know what? This is also, by the way, just reminding me, and we will be sort of talking about this later on in the show, but you know that whole face app, everybody's like, oh, the Russians are behind it, Um, which, by the way, is kind of borderline, I want to say xenophobic, not, I guess, xenophobic? Sovietphobic? I don't know. Anyway, um, but just regarding to that, back in the day when we would buy 2600 we had to make sure that we were paying in cash because we didn't want the government to track us using our, t- <laughs> our high school debit cards. My God. Okay. Um, Andy, what have you been up to before I talk about this whole podcast <laughs> about all my nostalgia? Well, this is... Uh, uh- I'm going to, I'm going to try to make this into not a terribly long story, but I just, I've only just now have I realized that this covers a lot of territory, some of which is quite relevant to a Google podcast. So listeners, I, uh, I beg you stick, hang in there. It does become quite Google relevant. So, um, I was, uh, I was on a commuter train, uh, on Friday and it start my introduction to this young woman's life started off innocently enough as happens often on this commuter train it's like a a, a long ish ride for a commuter rail train and somebody's her phone was like down to like one pip or something and i was sitting at one of the one of the two tables that's on this double decker train unfortunately this was not one of the trains that had the power outlets underneath the tables she thought so damn sure darn she was disappointed so i was as i saw her like looking around holding the charger in her hand i said oh well actually sometimes and i looked oh yes there you go the for sometimes there are actually power outlets like underneath the seat mostly for people who are like doing maintenance on the thing. So you can, oh, there you go. Okay, here you go. Right, right. right. And then her, she clearly had like a really, really baffed up uh, cable uh, and it wasn't charging. So I, uh, I lent her, I lent her my, uh, my USB-C cable uh, and then uh, what happened? And then it was still wasn't charging. So I lent her my power, my, my power brick, my, my power load, uh, which is like an anchor, like 20,000 milliamp hour battery. I got like three years ago. Mm-hmm. And great, so now it's starting to charge up. And now I was not at her. T- I was not at her table. I was just like sort of like I couldn't help but listen when she and right. she was and I so and she was having she was a young woman who was having a I won't go into personal details of what I was overhearing, but as so often happens with just about anybody, she was having a very very rough patch of her life. 
uh, and her um, home situation, her uh, she was challenged in terms of having consistent uh, a consistent place to sleep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and eventually again, I, again, I was not at that table, so I wasn't like talking with her. I was just overhearing. And then, so finally I and I uh, said, well, actually, why don't, you, why don't you keep it? Uh, and I told her like how to charge it and how, how it works because it, again, the other details made it clear that she was really having a bit of a struggle. Uh, and it's, if you're not if uh, she wasn't homeless, but she was bouncing from sofa to sofa, right. and clearly it was going to be of her benefit to have a consistent, have like six charges of a phone, like in her pocket or in her purse at all times, uh, and so I gave her, so I gave her the charger, gave her the cable, and uh, hopefully that would help her a little bit, um, and so it was. Uh, it was time for also because I it, this wasn't part of it, but I knew that next that uh, this week was Prime Day. So I knew there was probably going to be some sales on chargers. I could replace it very easily. But it did make me realize that uh, I uh, I bought this really nice charger like two or three years ago. But that was like right just before USB-C really started to hit. And also it was just right before it was commonplace to have like uh, ultralight laptops uh, that could be charged with USB-C. And so it became my, I I didn't wind up buying a charger on Prime Day because I set some goals that it has to be still like a uh, 20,000 milliamp hour battery, has to have USB-C, and also has to be able to put out enough power that I could could actually charge my Chromebook or charge uh, like a MacBook or charge something like that. So I wound up getting the... ZM a company called, called ZMI, which is sort of a subsidiary of me. MI, uh, I've already bought like there are this really really good like cheap Chinese hardware manufacturer that every time I've bought a piece of me MI equipment, it's like wow, this is a GoPro that costs half as much as a GoPro, but it has 4K and it's built really really well and was also it's also filled with like a million really great convenience features that I don't even see on a GoPro and I absolutely love it. I'm really really happy with it uh, as opposed to the usual like cheap Chinese knockoff sort of thing that you can buy a, a GoPro for like 40 bucks but it's terrible. So this is a uh, the ZMI uh, backup battery uh, is uh, has USB has a uh, one USB uh, that will be USB C that can be used to either charge the device or charge an, an ex, another device via USB C. So bang, there goes one micro HDMI port. Excuse me, micro USB port that I no longer have to carry a cable or charger for. Great, I can still use my my big like laptop charger to uh, charge this battery for. Uh, it also has two USB-A uh, uh, connectors for for charging. But here's the other really, really cool thing that makes it a really particularly good thing uh, for a, a Chromebook or a MacBook. If you plug it, if you are, if you plug this into uh, your uh, in, into your laptop, and you're charging or powering the laptop with it, the USB ports can also be used as regular USB ports. It will act as a USB C mm. to USB A uh, interface. So I could be using this to not only charge my uh, uh, charge my Chromebook, but I can also be plugging in like a USB uh, a USB A flash drive or plug in like a microphone or something else in through the USB A. So it's like win win win. 
Also, it's pretty darn cheap. I was like budgeting like a hundred bucks for it. Uh, it's uh, seventy bucks on uh, on the Amazon site. You can if you go directly to the manufacturer site, it is sixty dollars. Uh, sorry, a little less than sixty dollars. Plus, they'll knock off another five bucks to take event to compensate for the fact that they have to ship it via UPS ground because you know it's packed with batteries. Right. So it will be you'll save like ten bucks by buying it uh, through the uh, directly through the, web, through the website, and I'll make sure you have the URL for the show notes. ZMIUSA.com, by the way, there and support is based in Sunnyvale, California. Yep. And if you're if you are actually in California and you place your order through the site during business hours. They say there's a really good chance you can get it the next day mm. simply by virtue of the fact that you're so close <laughs> and good not, to know. not for spending $30 <laughs> for special shipping. So um, I'm, uh, I haven't received it yet. I'm getting it to you know, see. Here's, here's the, here's how the psychology of, of buying things works. Mm-hmm. I was all set to say, okay, well, even with the shipping, it's either 70 bucks on, uh, let's see, 70 bucks on Amazon, or I can spend 50, uh, $61 maybe total. Uh, I'd have, and I'll, I'll uh, do I have it? Do I want to have it in two days on Saturday or sometime late next week? And I, I'm trying, I'm really going to spend an extra $8 to have it like five days sooner. And then I remembered that I got my, my $13, uh, Amazon, uh, Amazon associates credits, mm. like just that morning. And I thought that I'm going to, I'm going to treat that as though it's not spendable money. I'm going to treat it like it's a $13 off coupon because I don't care that I have no need for it on Sunday. I just want to have it sooner. So, so the last, uh, but uh, to uh, close and to increase the, the useful content of this, there are a lot of uh, there are a lot of big battery banks that have USB C. Not all of them pump out enough uh, enough uh, l- enough current to actually charge or power a laptop. Uh, let alone something like a MacBook. So, just, like for, for instance, I uh, the previous power bank was an Anchor. And I kind of mm-hmm. had picked out a couple of Anchor uh, battery packs that I've, I've, I've bought nothing but Anchors for the past like three or four years. And they've, I've liked them all, but it looked like none of them could actually power up uh, a even even a Chromebook. So that so I'm glad I checked on that. I went uh, another one that I checked the manufacturer side. It could it could power this laptop, but not that laptop. It really is just about numbers, about being able to tell this the, the power bank being able to tell the uh, tell the, uh, the the host computer what it wants to hear in terms of hi I'm capable of charging you and also having the capacity to be able to actually serve that much power. So uh, make sure if you are in the same position I was in, which is that I want to have a, a modern 2019 style like a, a, a power bank that is more flexible than what I already have in my bag. Make sure you go to the manufacturer site and see that it can charge the things you want it to charge. That's a great tip, Andy. Thank you. Thank you for sharing uh, your success story of buying a power bank. Shall we uh, head into our first, uh, actually our only ad for this show, um, so that we can continue to buy power banks? (laughs) Indeed. This episode of Material is brought to you by Squarespace. Make your next move with Squarespace. Squarespace lets you easily create a website for your next idea with a unique domain, award-winning templates, and more. Maybe you want to create an online store. Maybe you want to create a portfolio. Maybe you want to create a blog. Well, Squarespace is an all-in-one platform that lets you do just that. 
There's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, no upgrades needed. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Squarespace has got it covered. They have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you need any help. They let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name. And all of those award-winning templates are beautifully designed for you to show off your great ideas. Personal recommendations can go here, and I will say uh, I'm using a I'm using uh, a non WordPress hosted self hosted site, and oh my god, is it so good? Is it so good when like a company like Squarespace just says, "Here, we will give you everything you need except for the content. You provide the content. Give us money. We will make this happen, and we'll make sure that everything else aside from the content is not your responsibility." This is what you want, and you'll be blocking more. You'll be posting more pictures. You will be doing more stuff with your online store if you're not responsible whatsoever for anything other than posting content to it. I can – I'm just saying that I'm very, very happy. That I'm, I'm glad that I went through the process of hosting my own WordPress site for a number of years. I learned a lot. I also learned a lot about what the limits to my patients are. Uh, so I'm glad I did that, but now I'm glad I'm no longer – Doing self-hosting. Uh, and now back to your ad copy. Uh, Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month, but you can start a trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com slash material. When you, when you do decide to sign up, use the offer code material to get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain and to show your support for material. Once again, that's squarespace.com slash material and the code material to get 10% off your first purchase. We thank Squarespace for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. Okay, so here at Material Podcast, we, we are back to our old ways of uh, bringing some very serious news to the forefront. Um, I mean, not that the news we brought hasn't been serious. It's just that, you know, things have been kind of quiet last couple of weeks, I think because of the holiday and, and such, but, uh, things are heating up again, just in time for, uh, the world's major heat wave. (laughs) Um, so Meredith Withtaker, who you might remember the name as one of the organizers of the hashtag Google walkout has officially resigned from Google. Now, this happened a couple of days ago. Uh, I saw it pop up on Twitter late at night. I sent Andy a couple of links. I think Andy was already asleep, though, because this was like late night my time. Um, and over the last couple of days, there's been, you know, a little more news about this. There's been a Medium post. Um, so we're just going to kind of go through it and just let you know what's going on with this. So Meredith Withtaker again, one of the organizers of the Google walkout has resigned from Google and she published a note internally, uh, which is what she ended up posting to Medium. So Whittaker, along with uh, Claire Stapleton, is one of the organizers who later reported harassment due to speaking out and subsequently resigned from Google uh, because she was harassed. So this totals now The reason this is a big deal is because this totals four out of seven of the original organizers who have chosen to leave the company since they started the Google walkout, I believe it was last November. So that's not too long ago. Uh, If you think about it, that was only last winter and we're now in summer. So she cites a number of problems headlined by her commitment to 
quote, an accountable tech industry, quote, and her, quote, AI ethics work, unquote. She writes, it's clear Google isn't a place where I can continue this work. So that should perk your ears up a little bit. Hmm. Um, she's been with Google since 2006. So she's she was a, one of the committed employees, right? She's been there for a really long time. What is like 13 years? It's a long yeah. time she to be in a company. She started with an entry-level position. She wasn't like hired as an executive or anything. Yeah. She worked her way up the ranks, which means she really got to know the folks that she was working with. She really uh, got to know management. And she's seen the company grow into markets like healthcare, fossil fuels, city development and governance. That's uh, referring to those. If you want to check that out, you can Google a little bit more about Google's role, uh, what it's doing in Toronto right now. And transportation, uh, as with regards to Waymo and such. So the result is that Google in the conventional pursuit of quarterly earnings. So this is what she wrote um, in her Medium post. The result is that Google in the conventional pursuit of quarterly earnings is gaining significant and largely unchecked power to impact our world, including in profoundly dangerous ways, such as accelerating the extraction of fossil fuels and the deployment of surveillance technology. I'm certain many in leadership who learned what Google was and why it was great over a decade ago don't truly understand the direction in which Google is growing, nor are they incentivized to. That's a pretty bold statement to make. Um, and it's kind of, as an outsider, that this is just my personal commentary. As an outsider, I I kind of resonate with this because, because I can see that the things that we really loved Google and Android for as fans, with the news that's been coming out in the last year, it very much is that like, what's what's going on with her favorite company, right? Yeah. So she underscored in her Medium post that AI research is dominantly white and male. By the way, this has been reported, not just Google, uh, for those wondering. And consequently, AI tools are going to place other communities as, at a disadvantage. The need for checks and oversights on AI research and technology is huge and has been a large part of uh, what has what has driven her. She writes, I have tried hard to offer evidence and pathways for positive structural change. But over time, I realized that my presence at the table, quote unquote, which is, by the way, a thing that us women talk a lot about, was more about the appearance of an inclusive debate rather than seriously contending with the problems in the company. In the meantime, the issues of AI bias and inequity grew more urgent, and I became increasingly worried. She continues to write, The stakes are extremely high. And then this following section was highlighted in green on the Medium post. The use of AI for social control and oppression is already emerging, even in the face of developers' best of intentions. We have a short window in which to act to build in real guardrails for these systems before AI is built into our infrastructure and it's too late. She closed off her Medium post by writing, I offer my unraving support and love to those of you who continue to do amazing work here at Google and who have taken risks to support others. In solidarity with all of you who will continue this essential work within Google, I'll continue by offering an incomplete map of where I see future tech organizing moving. And so she ended up um, bullet pointing a couple of things. And mind you, again, this was a letter that she sent out internally. So this went out to her colleagues. This went out to her managers and former managers. This is her kind of saying, like, this is what's going on, and this is why I'm out of here. So some of the, uh, some of the, uh, I don't want to say 
fixings, but some of the bullet points she offered was, first up, unionization in a way that works. This doesn't mean letting, she writes, this doesn't mean letting an outside union, quote, organize, unquote, Google and dictate workers' concerns. This would be a bad model, in her view. In many places, it's quite possible to do it yourself, a union, so DIY a union. Um, And if those who have maybe been watching um, some of your favorite publications who have unionized the last couple of months, they've effectively gone this route, the DIY route. And she says the unionization should include contract workers. The trend is towards making everybody a contract worker except for management at Google. Um, There's been a lot of stories actually percolating around the internet about um, contract workers who don't have, you know, lunch perks and kind of the same perks that other Google folks do. And it's, I think it's worth mentioning, by the way, this is not just at Google internally. This is kind of a overarching Silicon Valley problem. Um, You'll hear a lot of this talk You hear a lot about this talk at Facebook and and other companies. She also suggests protecting conscientious objectors and whistleblowers. Google needs worker-led structures that can ensure it's safe to speak about the darker side of the company. Uh, She demands to know, she says that it would be great for those at the company to demand to know what they are working on and how it's being used. So the right to know what you're working on and how it's applied should be recognized as fundamental. And to uphold this right, Google's infrastructures and processes need to adapt, providing a chain of title from design through to application. Lastly, she adds, building solidarity with those beyond the company. So holding Google accountable and ensuring a safe workplace will require that tech workers organize from strong alliances with independent researchers, journalists, and communities on the front lines. This has the added benefit of building more powerful organize, organizing structures. Yeah, it's it, it was a really, really good piece because um, before I read it, I assumed that it was going to... Uh, uh, I, 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 got, I thought that give, given that I knew what the most, what the larger... Uh, issues that were being protested about in the Google walkout were, I assumed that it was going to be, hey, here's what we're protesting about, and Google clearly hasn't been doing anything about it, and I'm feeling like this isn't a positive place anymore, so I'm leaving. Uh, But it was really, really very thoughtful about uh, not just issues at Google, but issues everywhere and fundamental issues in technology. Um, I think most of uh, us are familiar with the uh, what she refers to with uh, AI bias, that artificial intelligence models are being trained by people of a certain demographic, and therefore right. they're going to carry on the same unintentional and maybe even intentional biases that those people have. We've been seeing uh, some uh, some alarms being thrown up about that regarding, uh, for instance, facial recognition technology. Uh, that how does it deal with uh, how does it handle uh, the faces of people who are transgender uh, or people who are gender indeterminate? Are, if uh, these AI systems are are taught that these this is either a male face or a female face, it means that a whole bunch of faces uh, get. Uh, put into a drawer that they're not supposed to be put into and being put into the wrong drawer right. in this instance is how a lot of oppression and how a lot of ignorance happens. Uh, so it's a very, very large issue. But the other issue is that this isn't just you, – you can be an AI researcher who got hired on to work at, uh, at Google and you're really, really thrilled that uh, your, uh, your postdoctorate work 
and some form of linear math that makes it very, very easy to process visual data, you're really, really glad that uh, you get to get this basic research and move it to the next level. And you, maybe you're even thrilled uh, when it seems as though G uh, Google Photos is going to use it to help to figure out where someone is looking and therefore uh, where, where a person is looking in, a, in an image and f figure out how to crop and make sure that the focus of attention is being put properly. They didn't sign up to realize that to, to have this thing put into a military drone to be able to figure out if these if this person, this person, and this person are all looking in the same direction, chances of the focus, the 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 place they're all looking at being a place we should collect more info about or promote as a possible target is higher, higher, higher. They're, they really didn't think that they were going to be building weapons or helping to build weapons. And part of the problem is that uh, as a researcher, you don't necessarily know about that until you already feel the responsibility of your research being applied in ways you didn't approve of. Uh, and also the idea of, of uh, workers being, uh, being almost having the responsibility to organize, to be able to uh, have a say in the direction of a company. Uh, and that uh, the comment that she made about how, uh, the trend seems to be that if you are in management, you will be offered a contract. Everybody else, if if in there, there is a certain corporate dream that in ten or twenty years, as many people are not actual employees as possible, it's all going to be handled through contractors uh, and subcontractors who can bully the employees in ways that a very publicly facing company who sometimes has to face Congress uh, would not like to uh, be portrayed in the bully role. So the, the whole thing is very much worth reading because it's a very, very, uh, uh, it's a very, very thoughtful and thought provoking uh, article. Uh, and uh, she's, uh, so she's moving on, I, I guess not necessarily moving on. Uh, Meredith Whitaker is one of the co-founders of the AI Now Institute at NYU. And this is some of the stuff that she's sort of referring to in the, in the blog post, that it really is an institute at NYU that is dedicated to looking into the social impact of artificial intelligence and trying to come up with a set of uh common understandings about what the responsibilities are trying to draw those lines that should not be crossed and define the sort of uh, gray zones that can be entered but only with an incredible amount of discussion of what kind of discussions those should be so she's doing important work she will of course remain a co-director there uh, google came out with a statement that was about as 50 percent gray as possible uh, alluding to, oh, well, she's going to be uh, she's spending more time with the Institute now and almost alluding that the reason why she is leaving is because she wants to spend more time outside of Google as opposed to she wants to be as far outside of Google as she possibly can, uh, which was clearly the intent of this piece. As opposed so, to we did nothing to protect her when she was being harassed yeah. by her fellow employees because who wants to stay at a workplace where – people are snickering and looking at you like, what are you, why are you causing problems? I mean, that's not a safe work environment. I'm assuming this is what happened, by the way. Um, and also drawing yeah, on my own experience. So. We should, yeah, we, it's, it's hard to, it's, it's hard to know. I, I hope that there's more people inside, including people who have alternate opinions 
uh, and who are not motivated by protecting their jobs and careers, who simply sure. are seeing. Be, because I, what I really want to know is, um, is this how high up in the managerial chain would you have to go above this harassment to find someone who is willing to yell at people underneath them to say that this is not what's supposed to happen. You're not supposed to put any pressure on these people. This is, we are, we, we may disagree. Uh, and most of the time, sometimes we, and, so, and often we should be listening because we are not hearing the things we should be hearing, but we are not going to condone this. Is this something that is, uh, when uh, Sundar Pichai uh, put this company-wide memo on the walkout day, mm -hmm. basically telling all managers that there can be a lot of employees who are not going to be at their desks, do whatever you can to facilitate whatever choices they want to make on that day. Again, was that an indication from the highest level that uh, discourse and dissent are not to be quashed? That's part of the, co the company culture inside Google to encourage this kind of debate? Or was it just a really, the only thing he could possibly do to sort of save face in the light of what was going to be an inevitably bad PR day at Google? So I want to, I really want to know at this stage at Google, is it, is this, uh, and um, the reason why I want to know it is that the times in the past where I've I won't, don't want to say dismissed an issue, but did not give it the amount of priority that um, a an ethical and humanist person that I want to be would be giving that much attention to is by saying, oh, gosh, isn't it terrible that these these bad apples inside a good environment can just can poison the entire well like that when, in fact, it's they they were poisoned by the well. The problem mm. is the well. The problem is not the bad, bad apples inside the well. So uh, clearly this is an ongoing issue and something that Google is going to have to confront uh, as uh, as imp uh, the same level of importance as they are going to have to confront uh, the specter of uh, increased <laughs> regulation, the specter of dealing with foreign governments, uh, the specter of competing in a marketplace where most of their business is coming from advertising. And if that business goes away, they could be in about as much trouble as Apple would be if the iPhone business went away. I really hope that this is considered inside Google as a tier one issue that they are trying to have a plan for and trying to address. Yeah, it's interesting. <sighs> I, I resonate with uh, Whittaker a little bit. Again, I had mentioned that earlier, just like as a as a person on the outside, as a consumer of these things, um, you know, you you want to be on the side of the good guys. And it's not I'm not saying that Google isn't good, but uh, I think with how big Silicon Valley is getting, we're going to see a lot more of this, not just from Google, but from other um, tech companies. It's going to be an interesting next couple of years. I have to say, because yeah. this is just the beginning of a lot. This is just the beginning of a giant, of a tiny snowball that is going to continue rolling downhill and becoming a really giant avalanche or whatever, just to continue with the metaphor. Um, I I feel like this is a good time to segue since we were just talking about Certainly. <laughs> government regulation. <clears throat> so Congress, uh, this Congress here in America... <laughs> I never know how to put that. Um, they had antitrust hearings uh, earlier this week. So we are recording this on Thursday, a little bit later than we usually do. On Tuesday of this week, there were hearings uh, involving Google, Facebook, 
Apple and Amazon, all the big guys. Uh, so Google's grilling was in the third session of the day, but it was mostly centered around Republicans kind of complaints that Google is censoring conservative opinions and voices. We've talked about that before on this show. It, this is not a new thing. Uh, it's it was definitely interesting to see the tweets coming out of this about <laughs> about this. It was just very like oh goodness. Um, so Google was represented by Karen Batia, Google's vice president for government affairs and public policy. And Senator Josh Hawley, a Republican of Missouri, attacked on the point of Google consistently saying that they don't censor voices because doing so would run against ethics and philosophies. And yet, he claimed, Google is working to re-enter the Chinese market with Dragonfly. Batia then responded in, in turn that this project is dead, which honestly, we all like knew that. Anybody who's been paying attention to Google knew that they were not pursuing that any further. Yeah. Like months ago, they mentioned this. But it's, um, but it's also really, it's helpful and significant that uh, this, is, this is an instance in which Google is responding under oath that this project is dead. Not that there, the yeah, there is no point. timetable for this or, well, not, we, we, it's not going to surface next year. Finally, well, we didn't have a timetable for it. We just decided to make it to back. Yeah, it's not just a, a press release. Yeah. This is under oath. Uh, we have, we have no plans. Dev. We have no plans. I think the, uh, the, the CEO's last statement was we have no plans to release a search engine in, uh, in China, which could be interpreted as, oh, we're developing the hell out of it. We just don't have a timetable for releasing it. But when, when, uh, when someone who is testifying before Congress on behalf of Google says that a project is dead, that's a big problem if, if they really are still working on it. Mm-hmm. So a name you may have heard of before, Ted Cruz. <laughs> was involved in this hearing, of course, and raised the specter of revisiting Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, which is kind of scary. This is the the compromise that was made out in the 1990s in which... This, 1996, as, by the way, Clinton era, for anybody who's wondering... <laughs> Well, it's so long ago, it's like old timey, you can say old timey times <laughs> where uh, the, and this this does not sound like Congress. So if you're if you're younger, I'm going to explain Congress making a decision that does not sound like any Congress you're familiar with. They basically underst- understood that uh, they, they basically decided when they were deciding on how to regulate the Internet that they have no idea what they're talking about being Congress people. Uh, and also that this was a developing industry with an enormous amount of potential and Very that nice. on those on those two bases perhaps they should use as light a touch as possible uh, and so when uh, people were making it uh, for instance in the recording industry were saying hey we need to have a regulation so that anybody who posts copyrighted material uh, on the internet is going to be responsible for uh, for hosting that content or if someone hosts pornography or bomb making yeah. material this was about pornography. Gonna, right. And this, again, the Communications Decency Act. And so the compromise, the, the compromise in Section 230 essentially essentially said that a service like, uh, like uh, YouTube isn't a publisher. They're simply a distributor like a newsstand so that if someone puts an article on here's how to make a bomb uh, in a copy of the uh, in an article in the New York Times, the newsstand is not responsible for the bombs that get made or for, right. for, for that information. When informed that there is a piece of illegal content in the New York Times, they're responsible for removing it. But that's it, and that's why we that's why you can go to. 
a a a provider of web hosting uh <laughs> create a blog <laughs> i know right. we're blurring the editorial lines it's just that it happens to be the most relevant thing to say that's why that's why a a, a company can create can sell you a web hosting service and you can post stuff and that service is not going to get annihilated right. if you post irresponsible illegal uh content on that site so uh one of the drum beats that keeps coming back up particularly from the republican side but also from the uh, uh from the democratic side is that maybe we should put restrictions on section 230 say that no copy serve copy serve uh we're talking too much about the 1990s now that, that's where yeah, my back head in is the right 90s, now there was a service called CompuServe, <sighs> which is how some people got on the internet exactly just for those who don't just for for anybody from late millennial uh, Gen Z listening, we we thank you by the way for tuning in. So so the, so any any attempt to weaken uh, Section two thirty would cause an immense amount of chaos uh, in the internet everywhere. Uh, even in the EU, there's uh, there's some where of course the, the United States Communications Dis- Communications DC Act does not apply. There's text, there's there's rumblings to say, well, now you're you you uh, that uh, a service is, now has to be responsible for pre-screening every piece of content before it becomes publicly available, and you're going to be liable for, it. and that's just not possible. They seem to think that these are like manu- these are like manuscripts being sent to the poetry editor of the New Yorker. Even even the poetry editor of the New Yorker can't possibly read everything that is every piece of bad poetry that is submitted to the New Yorker. So I'm now imagine it's videos that are being submitted at the rate of hundreds per second <laughs> potentially. And yeah, it's it's a problem. So any that this is why I always get scary when someone who is who has been rumored to be the Zodiac killer. Okay, there I said it, but I said it, it's a rumor. If we're all allowed to report on to talk about rumors here, he's been rumored to be. He has not been proven to not be the Zodiac killer, Ted Cruz. Let's just make sure that that's part of the conversation. He has not been proven to not be the Zodiac killer. So when when Ted Cruz starts talking about, hey, let's start talking about maybe weakening Section 230, it's like, oh, the internet's gonna suck, and it's gonna be because Ted people like Ted Cruz. Decided that this would be a great thing to like score points off of. Oh man! It's also it's also just highlighting the fact that even since 1996, which was 23 years ago, um, nothing like nobody has figured any. The government still doesn't understand the internet. Our cars had cassette players back then. They did factory cassette players. And if you wanted to play a CD, you could insert one of those little cassette things with like a little cord that come out of it came out. It was a wild time. If you had a uh, CD be- changer in your trunk, you were a trust fund kid, my friend. Oh, I, um, yes. The yes, ability to play yes. five Six hours CDs. of music in your yes. car. Oh, my God. Six CDs for a whole road trip? Wow. What's it, what's it like being the nephew of Ted Kennedy? What's that right. like? Uh, a 90s also not a good time for the Kennedys. Woo, yeah. sorry about that. But we've been talking a lot about JFK Jr. Um, lately. Okay, <laughs> back on tri- back on topic. It it is so we are bringing this up because we just want to bring light to the fact that things have not changed um, much in the scope of how the government handles Silicon Valley, and we need to pay attention to this because uh, at least for Andy and I as journalists, we have to we have to tell you all. <laughs> 
what is important and 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 what you should know about this. Um, and I think the hard part is this is not just Ted Cruz, right? Um, Mr. Trump has also stuck his oar in this um, out of nowhere, just decided to say something about it, I guess. Oh, not, and, not, uh, not out of nowhere, out, <laughs> out of Fox and Friends, of course. Right. Yeah, you're right. You're right about that, uh, which kind of seeded that uh, in his morning ritual. And uh, Peter Thiel, who you may know is a super rich white guy who started PayPal and also brought down Gawker, uh, had accused Google. Uh, he started PayPal, right? I was right about that, right? <laughs> not wrong. I might be thinking of Elon. Um, had accused Google of being infiltrated by Chinese intelligence and also accused Google of treason for working with the Chinese military and refusing to work with the U.S. military, to which I'm rolling my eyes. <laughs> I can I can confirm as the one of the as the only person who is in on this uh, Skype call that her eyes have been rolled yeah, and, I, I and I've, I've, I've got I've got her like little minimized floating window, and even there I could see the eye rolling. I'm a very expressive person. That's why we do this over Skype, so that Andy really knows like my sorry, you know where I'm coming from. Um, of course, both Mr. Thiel and Mr. Trump. I don't know why I'm referring to them as that, but I am. Uh, probably is probably referring to the fact that the Chinese had access to the open source TensorFlow, uh, which is a big, you know, big part of Google. AI, while yeah. Google was pulling out of the military AI project after um, the employee blowback, there are actually some regulation that I would like to see uh, personally yeah. outside of my journalistic ethics, my journalistic scope. That I would like to see what we were just talking about with uh, Megan Whittaker. Okay. I would like to see some regulation brought into Silicon Valley. But when this happens, it creates a theater out of it. And it's frustrating because then you get the kind of you get the kind of uh, laws that were made in the 90s, which, you know, were just kind of half baked and just kind of put in because that was a very popular conversation at the time. The Internet. Now it's growing. And it's like we're all ba- history repeats the information itself. Information superhighway. It's 2019 and we're treating these things the exact same way as we were between 96 and 99, which, by the way, I know I was very I was 10 years old in 1996. But this is when I started my curiosity about Silicon Valley as a kid. And I started to read about all this stuff online. Again, remember, I was a I was an introverted kid who liked to be by herself and read a lot. So I was reading about what was happening in Congress at this time, not really understanding most of it. And so I remember the theatrics of this um, from back then, and it just strikes me as the same kind of theater. And this is not like this is not a forward moving uh, kind of policy making. And and doing this, by the way, it just creates more tension between the U.S. and the rest of the world that is also growing in technological advancement. Yeah. No, I, yeah. I, I was. <laughs> you see where I'm going? It's just not a recipe. I, I, for... I was I was a certain non-zero number of years uh, older than 10 years old <laughs> at the time. Sorry uh, to date myself, but I do want to put a little perspective. No, 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 exactly. No. And I and I remember <laughs> as a teenager who already feels as though they know more about technology mm-hmm. than any adult ever. But then seeing these like 83 year old senators just saying that, oh, obviously that we should put a microchip in every uh, every electronic gadget 
to check to see if it's playing something that's copyrighted and check to see if it was duplicated off of the tape machine. And I was like, you're going to put a microchip in. Okay, here's... (laughs) Here's all the ways in which you're wrong, and but and this was just like the 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 ones that are easy to to explain and to attack. So yeah, and this and this is by the way, this is not like partisan foolishness in Congress. Uh, both the Democrats and the Senate and uh, and the Republicans in the Senate and the House are both attack. Both have uh, uh, big tech companies in their sights. Uh, for uh, stereotypical and both political and dogmatic self-serving reasons uh, that, of course, it's Elizabeth Warren who's saying that, oh, well, simply by virtue of the fact that a tech company is really huge means that they should be split apart. And you and the uh, uh, the uh, uh, congressperson who is heading up most of these hearings is, of course, a Democratic senator, excuse me, Democratic congressman from Rhode Island, who are, again, uh, really, really beating the antitrust drum, saying that if the, mm-hmm. the, the, the reason why we don't have 14 different uh, really great maps services is because Google dominates maps. As opposed to, it's the same reason why we we don't have 18 different companies and 32 different private companies who landed on the moon after Apollo 11. It's like, no, it's because it costs a lot of money and a lot of years. And for a lot of those years, you're not going to be making one red dime off of this thing. Uh, red dime. Red cent, even, uh, <laughs> off of this thing. And after Inflation. Yeah. And... <laughs> And so uh, there, there, there are areas in which you are certainly free to compete with Google Maps, but you have to be compete. The, the downside is that you have to compete with Google Maps. And right. Google started by buying up a uh, not at the time, not even that much smaller than Google company because they had the forethought to see that this is going to be something both interesting and valuable and something that they could really work with and develop. And this would not have been quite so funny if like Yahoo had Yahoo had bought Google because they couldn't make off make any money off of a uh, off of a giving away search for free. Uh, it's it's so when we talk when when I talk about the sort of like itchiness I feel whenever we or whenever these uh, tech companies are brought uh, to, in front of cameras in, in a congressional hearing. This is not a partisan issue. There is foolishness. Uh, and even uh, right, correct, uh, uh, good, good intended foolishness on both sides uh, of the aisle. I do think that uh, we're, this is a Google podcast. So I'm going to focus on Google here. The fact that we get so much of inform- so much information that starts with a Google search, it means that Google really does have to be transparent and make sure that they 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 can't just simply when people ask them how do i know that you're not burying things that uh either as a corporation you think is unhelpful to your company or your individual engineers uh, just on their own, going a little bit rogue inside the organization, aren't saying, ha well, there's election coming up, so I'm going to make sure that anything that's positive about a certain candidate I don't like, uh, Democrat or Republican, uh, is going to be suppressed, and all the all the nasty stuff about this candidate is going to be is going to be promoted. How do you know that? How do we know that that's not happening? Your response your response can't be, well, that goes against our ethics and values. Your response has to be, well, here is the outside independent uh, and adversarial committee 
whose job it is to keep uh, researching into our, uh, our search stats to find evidence of bias, and they're not finding any bias. Uh, and here is all the changes that we keep making in the ways that we uh, re re return search results so that whenever we do find that some bias has has uh, has swept in, if it represents the actual discourse that's happening uh, online and it's not a result of the bias that's happening inside the Google campus. They have a responsibility to point that stuff out and I'm grateful to Republicans for making that into an issue of discussion. I'm mm -hmm. not happy that they're insisting that this is actually happening, despite total lack of evidence that they're presenting in, in in light of that. But it's important that Google has to – it's important that this be part of the discussion and this be front and center as these companies uh, get so much power and so much influence. Uh, we have to make sure they are held responsible. And the last the, – the, the first and last thing to remember about companies is that – uh, companies have a company has no sense of ethics. A company has no sense of empathy. Only the individuals within that company have ethics uh, and a sense of and senses of empathy. And but when you get more than seven of these uh, of these people together, they become a unit of a company. You can't simply trust people to always do the right thing without any oversight and without any promise of punishment if they slip up. I think that's a really, I think that's a really good uh, place to leave that for now. Um, this is definitely going to grow. <laughs> um, and, you know, we've got a couple last little pieces of news that we want to put forth before we kind of head out for the week. So first off, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a slow week and I couldn't, even, I was looking forward. Let's fi find something light and bouncy and frothy. And I couldn't even find much that was light and fun and frothy. Even, even trying to find, well, let's find some like Apollo 11 stuff. Most of the really cool stuff isn't like Google stuff as far as I'm concerned. So it's like, yeah, okay. which I mean, this is the material podcast. We're trying I'm, to stay. I'm sure, I'm sure they've got, here. I'm sure they've got a hell of a, uh, of a doodle planned <laughs> for, oh, for the day yeah. of the landing. That's going to be great. Right. Um, so we, I was talking earlier about the Facetune app that everybody's been like posting about. This is what I'm going to look like when I'm 80. Um, and when that went out, a bunch of people were saying, oh, the Russians are behind it. Listen, guys, none of this stuff is any worse than Facebook. <clears throat> Have you read the terms of service there lately? Uh, anyway, so Google has actually removed, back to Google, has actually removed seven major stalkerware apps from the Play Store. Um, now, this is not exactly like Facetune. I just wanted to bring it up that this is just in the, the Venn diagram. <laughs> this kind of like fits into that, okay? Just because this has been a major topic of conversation lately among users, which I'm glad we should be talking about this. So all seven apps of uh, these stalkerware apps were from the same Russian developer promoted to different markets. Um, they were... <laughs> Stalkerware, they were called like stalk your children, stalk your cheating spouse, you know, like like figure out what people are doing when you're not around. Like stalk, that's stalk your employees with yes. the usual copy. Businesses have a responsibility to make sure that their employees are being productive on company time. Yeah. Um, which by the way, as an intern, I was always productive, even when I was not on campus. Uh apps installed, uh, these apps were installed a total of 130,000 times. Um, the apps were discovered by researchers at Avast, which you may have heard of. Um, Google pulled these apps down immediately. 
These apps gave access to all personal data, including SMS, location, call history, contacts lists, and also, if the device had been rooted, messages sent through secure platforms, quote-unquote, such as WhatsApp. These apps uh, would hide their tracks to evade detection by the phone's user, so installation was a two-step process that left nothing behind in the app drawer, so you didn't even know it was there. It appears that the Play Store's app's function was to ask for an email address, and then a side-loadable app was emailed to that address with instructions on how to install it on the target phone. The app required physical access to the phone for installation, and the data was sent via email to the person who installed the app, which is, you know, it's the whole leash thing, right? Yeah. The whole digital leash thing. Um, I know that... This is going to be more ammo for the crowd that says, you know, Android isn't secure. Google doesn't care. But just because, you know, it is kind of a bummer that Google didn't catch this. But most reports don't mention that the actual spyware wasn't submitted to the Play Store for safety checking. Remember, Google's done a lot of work in the Play Store to make sure that things are getting scanned. Um, You know, when you plug in your phone at night, your stuff is getting automatically scanned. Every time you download an app, it's getting scanned. Google's done a lot of work on its part to try and uh, put a stop to these nefarious apps. But as always... When nefarious things are, when people are trying to do nefarious nefarious things, they will find ways around, you know, the gates that are keeping them from doing that. And we just have to remember this as users of all platforms. Um, Just use a little precaution and don't be the kind of boss that does this or the kind of parent. (laughs) Have a little bit of trust, okay? The the world is a dangerous place. This is... It's it's pretty crummy behavior, uh, start to finish. Um, Apple actually got into a little bit of hot water because there were some mm. uh, very very positive parenting apps that were essentially about controlling uh, their uh, parent controlling their children's use of phones. There's memes about that, by the way, yeah. from Gen Z. They're all over it. They know <laughs> what the parents are up to. Yeah, uh, and so and so the uh, Apple uh, had taken these apps down, even though they were completely upfront about what they were doing. They weren't doing anything that's nefarious, uh, and the, the argument being that oh well, Apple want, doesn't want competition with, with its own built-in uh, features for parental controls. Like eh, okay, maybe, but uh, but so it's 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 definitely true that uh, it seems as though if there were human if uh, if a human being had laid eyes on this app store, uh, Google Play Store submission, they would have said, let's put this into a file so that when I've got a good hour to take a look at this, I'm going to take an hour to look at this. Uh, but it, it's uh, that's exa- it's exactly as, as you said. They submitted this app in such a form that any automated scanner was not going to find that it uh, escalates permissions uh, illegally. It's not going to find that it, it's doing anything tricky that can be located in code. Right. Um, I'm going. I'm uh, again. I was in uh, the inference being made by the reports that I've seen about this. Of course, the apps are not available uh, on the Play Store, so they couldn't uh, check it directly. But it really did seem as though this was an app that did nothing but okay, give us give us your email address and create a password and then check your email for this binary file and we will give you instructions on how to uh, enable your kids to put it to put it generously your child's phone how to enable sideloading of apps and then how to sideload this app on it and then what to do to make sure that this app is not visible to any to, to anything that's that's being done by the user itself so 
that's just just something to keep in mind. I, I don't think that Google requires uh, is is a, is a lamb that's being set upon by evil wolves who want to bring Google down. Uh, Google does have Android does have a whole bunch of weaknesses that are pretty well documented, but this is not a, Google does do a really really good job of keeping uh, malicious apps out of the Play Store and is generally trusted. And this is why you tend to not. Uh, tend to not use an outside app store if you, mm-hmm. unless you have an exceptionally good reason to use an external app store. Cough, APK, mirror.com, cough. Uh, <laughs> pretty much the only one I trust. Uh, shout out to Artem from Android, please. Uh, so on the, hey, you know. Um, well, what, on one piece our, of good news for before yes, we go. Yes, on one little piece of good news. And actually this ended up happening last week, but we want to go ahead and let you empower you all with this information in case you were unaware. Uh, war is over. Not in the world, but between Google and Amazon, a bit at least. So Google has created YouTube for Amazon Fire devices. Amazon Prime Video app is also now supported uh, on Chromecast and Android TV, which is going to make a lot of Prime users really happy. Now you can officially catch up on Fleabag season two. Uh, Without, you know, having to just watch it on your laptop, you can actually put it on your TV as (laughs) God intended. Um, so YouTube TV and YouTube kids will be coming soon. Um, also Chromecast ultra owners get access to prime videos, 4k library. That's a nice little perk. Um, this seems to be a serious long-term partnership with promised support for broader devices and future devices. So this is good news. It looks like a little truce was set. And, um, I hope that some of you are happy knowing this news. If you hadn't already heard it. Um, I know yeah. some folks in my Discord are really happy about this. I'm not an Amazon user, so IDC, yeah, I don't care. But <laughs> a lot I mean, of people out there it's, will. It's nice. It's I think it's nice to see that these two big, huge companies are no longer yeah. being childish uh, and or no longer trying to play these sort of games. Saying, "Well, we can certainly we we don't want Amazon Prime to become Prime Video to become a successful alternative to the Play Store, and so we are not going to uh, we're not going to allow we're going to put whatever pressure we can uh, on our competitor and keeping YouTube off of uh, Amazon Fire devices, uh, particularly YouTube Kids, was just a big bowl of stupidity." Uh, I think uh, Google was also shooting itself in the foot, given that the whole purpose of like a fifty-dollar color Amazon Fire tablet is to give this to your kid in the back seat, and if he or she throws it out the window, you're definitely going to have a stern talking to about that really nice bicyclist that got knocked off the bike oh, when no. they're hit by a Google Fire tablet. But the but the the problem of oh no, a fifty they just destroyed a fifty dollar color tablet. That's that's not the same as oh no, you just destroyed a thousand dollar iPad Pro. So that's what people are buying these tablets for. Uh so I I when I saw this not only was I, I was happy about it, but I was also trying to figure out uh, what was motivating what all the other factors that was motivating them mm-hmm. uh, partly that streaming is going to be everything from this point onward and why would you give up any opportunity to have your service on as many devices as you can possibly get them on i think it's going to become a narrower and narrower <laughs> profit margin sort of thing where every single advantage you can get is not is worth uh, doing what you can and another thing that, given given that I, I I happen to think that if you work for one of four companies or five tech companies, you 
probably now have in a very, very nice, like uh, 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 a hanging bag in your closet, not one, but two outfits that you have designated as your testifying before Congress outfits, knowing that at some point they're going to get around to calling you up to testify. You should probably have a change of clothes in case it goes for two days and not just one. And if you are collectively Google or collectively Amazon, you would like to be able to say, no, no, we're not a monopoly. We Recently, we put the YouTube app right. on, on Amazon Fire because we just want our, our users to be able to use it on whatever device they want. So the, 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 I, I'm sure there were a lot of variables in this calculus, part of it being we don't want Congress to hurt us as badly as they could possibly hurt us. Oh, boy. Andy, this is why I love doing the show with you every week. We just really, we're on a roll, we're on a roll. Um, which usually means by the end of the podcast, I'm all petered out. So I'm going to go take a break. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I'm, in, I'm in an air-conditioned conference room in a library, which is one of the reasons why I'm doing It's starting to get really warm and... And I'm just going to, fortunately, I'm doing the ad reads this time, as you listeners knew. I'm probably going to intentionally mess up at least four of these recordings so I can stay in this nice air-conditioned conference room longer. And I don't have to go back to my really not very comfortable un-air-conditioned home and office. Yeah, I'm going to go hide in the dark closet. Uh, that's where I'm going to work the rest of the day because that's like pretty much the coolest place in the house. Uh, <laughs> folks, for those of you who love us on Material Podcast, um, just a reminder that you can become a member of our show and actually become a member of the Real AFM network, which supports us and supports um, our friends here on the network. We really appreciate it. Just hop on over to relay.fm slash material. Uh, you can get more information there and um, any little bit it helps. So thank you so much for tuning in. Before we go, of course, Andy and I need to shill our wares. So Andy, <laughs> do you have anything that you'd like to leave folks with this week? Uh, well, I wasn't on uh, Boston NPR this week, so I got this I got this week off. Uh, but you can always go to Anatko on Twitter, Anatko on Instagram, uh, or Anatko.com, where I allegedly blog, but have not blogged for quite a while because the last, I, I know I need to blog more regularly when I, when I write for pay, it's like, I really want to just, after I'm done and filed, I want to sort of leave the scene of the crime. <laughs> and I'm working to correct that though. So stay tuned. I am on the opposite spectrum of that. I've decided to stop posting blogs besides updates to my website. So if you want to know, like if I'm doing a podcast appearance or when a new episode of material posts, um, or maybe, you know, when I have a story going up at Lifehacker, you can go to florenceion.com. Um, and I, I found a cool little RSS importer that lets me do this on the fly. So it's not taking up too much of my time. Um, because I have a lot of work to do this summer. <laughs> <laughs> have a lot, which is good. I'm happy for it. I don't mind at all. Uh, you can also uh, follow me and Andy on Twitter. Andy's at Inotco, if you can spell his last name. And I'm at oh, that Flow without a W. Do not, there's no W in my name. There never has been. Uh, girl at Starbucks, please start putting a W in my name. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and just so you guys know, uh, there's a bonus episode coming up this summer. So if you, I don't know have an idea or something you want to hear? I mean, just send us a little tweet. We do read the tweets uh, that you send at Material Podcast. I have not updated the Twitter page because um, 
life, but we do read those tweets. So please feel free to uh, connect with us there. And if not, well, then I guess we'll just see you on the internet. So until next week, bye, everybody. Have a happy. 